Welcome to the FNL Podcast. My name is Vicki Denton, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Mario Majic. Mario is the Head of Marketing, Corporate Governance, and Strategic Business Development of a company in Germany called Avista Oil AG. Welcome to FNL Podcast, Mario. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, Mario, um, tell us first about the company and then about yourself. What is Avista? Avista is um, a company that is in the heart of circular economy. It's a company that um, was established a couple of decades ago already. It is um, collecting used lubricating oils from different sources, and then it recycles, or better to say upcycles, these used lubricating oils into new base oils and also produces finished lubricants out of these collected used oils, which then became base oils. So you were saying... And, um, yes, go ahead. And uh, if you want to know something about myself, I'm, I'm as you said, responsible for the uh, marketing, business development and corporate governance department here at Avista Oil. And I joined the group in 2014, actually. Thank, thank you, Mario. So um, you mentioned that Avista has been around for several decades. Uh, the company started in the 50s, right? But it wasn't called Avista then. Uh, what was the name of the company and why did it change its name to Avista? Well, um, the, the, the history of, of the company starts somewhere in the 1950s in Germany. And um, back then it had several different names um, f- from decade to decade. As, as long as um, uh, the, the shareholders came in and get out, they changed the name. The last name before it became uh, Avista Oil was Mineralöl Raffinerie Dolbergen, so MRD as the abbreviation. But it's also important to say that um, as the company was growing, um, especially since the 2000s, um, it also um, growed uh, anorganically, so it acquired companies who also had their own histories in the countries where they have been working. So, for example, we still have a company which belongs to the Avista Oil AG in the United States, which is called Universal Environmental Services, which is doing the same. So collecting used oil and producing base oil in the refinery. And you also have a refinery in Denmark. Is that the same history? It was previously an independent company purchased by Avista? Yes, that's true. So it was an independent company in Denmark, then it was purchased by Avista. Right now, the refinery itself, so the operational part of the business, is a joint venture between Avista Oil AG and a British company called um, Green Bottle. And the collection part of the Danish business is still under um, the Avista Oil flag. So when MRD decided to change its name to Avista, what was the rationale for choosing the name Avista? I guess it was um, to have one one name that fits to all companies which are part of the group. 
And it was also, um, I think the rationale was also to have a name that is um, pronounceable internationally very easily. So I think Avista is more easy to pronounce than Mineralöl Raffinerie Dolbergen. And it also has something to say. I mean, um, Avista is a um, made up word, but basically it uh, goes down to the Roman word of uh, Vista. It's a view, it is something, something forward looking. It is something that um, we try to achieve in the future. And that's, that's also what um, re it's reflected in the business model itself. So we are very forward looking because of the fact that we are in the heart of sustainability and that's the future for us and that's the future for all of us. Yeah, I mean, starting this business in the 50s, in those days, we never heard of Group 2 and Group 3, right? So we were mostly talking about re-refined base oil, Group 1, solvent refined. Uh, but today, Avista is producing Group 3 base oils from used oil. So what's changed in terms of technology? Well... <laughs> If you go back to the 50s a lot, I would say. <laughs> I think in the 50s, it was more the case that um, there was a scarcity of resources in Germany. And uh, people were thinking about what can we do to overcome that scarcity? And that's the reason why they started to collect used lubricating oils, which were on the market, which were available. And then they started to, um, uh, yeah, let's call it... Um, refine or let's say process these oils into something that they could use again but um, as the technology developed in the 70s and the 80s and with the final step in uh, in the 2000s um, we, we witnessed that um, making this uh, business model more circular is going to be uh, the the most important pillar of the strategy in the future and as you said, we, we were producing Group 1 um, since uh, our beginning, uh, in the, uh, since the beginning of our latest technology upgrade in, in Dolbergen, so in, in the German refinery and also in the Danish refinery. Right now, we have the uh, capabilities to also produce a Group 3, which we are currently starting at our facility in, in Germany. But for example, the um, U.S. refinery, which was built um, 2013, uh, war, is producing a Group Two and a Group Three already. So basically, that's that's where we where we already have that um, upgrade to the um, to the uh, Group Two since the start of the refinery. Yeah, and of course, Mario, the difference between the U.S. market is the U.S. is predominantly a Group Two market. And Europe is predominantly a Group Three market, right? And that's the difference why you're producing Group I would, Two. I would say, I would say, yeah, in the US, in the US for sure, the US is definitely the Group Two market, and um, we produce a Group Two with the same technology that we have in the US. For for Europe, it's I think it's more a Group One and Group Three market. So. Um, we are we are also um, right now producing a group one in Germany and in Denmark, which we um, can uh, definitely um, supply to the to the uh, market demand in Europe. But we see a, a clear shift towards uh, more demand for group three. And that's the reason why we are starting the investment into a group three production in Germany. OK, uh, so give us a big picture. 
how much is total production of Avista worldwide? And then how does it divide into work one, two, and three? Um, if I would say the total base oil production from all three refineries is with all the capacity upgrades that we are currently undergoing, is going to be more than, um, let's see, 300,000 tons, 320 if, I, if I'm correct, something in that region. And the second question was, what's the percentage of group one? Versus two and three. Okay. In the U.S., we're producing predominantly a group two, and there we have a capacity of over 100 and 110, 120,000 tons group two. Uh, we have about 100, about 80,000 tons of Group 1 currently in Germany, and we are upgrading the refinery in Denmark to 100,000 tons Group uh, 1 as well. But we are, uh, in this year, so 2023, we are investing into the upgrade to a Group 3 in Germany, which is going to be ready by the end of uh, 2024, where we will have the ability to produce um, all base oil output as a group three. Um, what technology are you using? Are you licensing a technology or are you using your own homegrown technology? The, the theory and the philosophy of Avista was always to um, have own technology, own developed technology, and that's also the case for the upgrade to the group three. At this moment in time i cannot reveal the exact technology but it's a technology that is uh, being developed in-house okay um now really the difference between one and two is hydro cracking and hydro treating is that right um i'm not a technical person um, but uh, that's what i remember neither neither am i <laughs> <laughs> i think that the difference between um one and three is definitely something has something to do with the molecular base, but um, there are also alternatives in the way how you uh, produce a group three, and that's the reason why Avista is also investigating the alternative options to produce a group three at the facility in Dolbergen. So what I what I can say is we we will not um, hydro treat um, our molecules to produce a group three. Now, in the old days, the reason for that is quite simple. Yes. The, the reason for yes, that is ahead. quite simple, I would say. Um, uh, we always tried to be uh, the market leader in the redefining technology. And market leader also means that you have um, a clear vision of what effects your production have on, on the environment. With the solvent extraction that we have at, at the current facilities, we are more or less waste-free, so there's no waste produced out of a process. And we are also very um, energy low, so we, don't, we are not so energy intense as other companies producing the same output. And if it comes to hydro-treating the, um, the molecules, that means you will require a lot of energy to, to do that. And that's also something that is against the sustainability point of view. And, our major focus was to be also the market leader in CO2 savings and sustainability. That's the reason why we said we are going to um, invest into a technology that also gives us the market leadership in that regard. 
So you're very conscious about your carbon footprint. So when with the upgrade, how would your carbon footprint change when you upgrade from group one to group three? Um, I have no uh, real figures at the moment, but the expectations and the first indications um, are saying that our carbon footprint is going to be very low as it is with the group one production right now. I cannot tell you exact figures because I don't have them at the moment. We are currently um, investigating that um, um, with an external partner to see what effects the, the new technology is going to have on the um, carbon footprint. But it's expected to be uh, rather low. Now, in, in the old days, Mario, people, the consumers at least, uh, and even the your customers in the oil industry, the lubricant formulators, they kind of think of re-refined oil as a second-class citizen, meaning it's not going to be as good as a virgin base oil. Has that changed? If you ask me, I, I joined in 2014, the, the, uh, the oil industry. And when I joined, um, I got to know people that were, continuously saying no redefined base oil is second class base oil because of this and that i could not believe that because if i see what we were producing back then it was high quality base oil it has um in certain parameters it's even better than primary refined base oil and on top of that it uh, is sustainable, which the others are not. So um, from the quality perspective, we are definitely uh, overreaching a lot of parameters that are important for being classified as a group one base oil. And now with sustainability and circularity at the top of everyone's minds, primarily to reduce their carbon footprint, suddenly you've become a big star. Hopefully, <laughs> I would I, I would say um, that um, definitely we we see a, a tremendous change. Um, I would say du du during uh, Corona times, during COVID times, so 2020, it started to there was a real big change in the mindset, also influenced by um, policies as the European Green Deal and other, um, um, I would say, stakeholder requirements that then influence um, uh, our, our uh, clients in, and their um, ambitions towards more sustainability. That's definitely going to um, be, have a positive effect on our, on our business model as well. So um, what's the situation in terms of collection in Germany, in Denmark, in the United States, because collection of used oil is always the critical part. You're basically requiring a lot of feedstock. When you say you have 300,000 tons of production capacity, how much feedstock do you actually need to collect every year? Um, a lot. Um, our philosophy, also was always to make sure to have enough feedstock. Feedstock is the key requirement for being able to produce, and that's that sure. And um, uh, we have therefore um, invested a lot in the past, and we are still investing in expanding our collection footprint. And we do that with our own 
companies and their own trucks, basically. So we have, uh, for example, in, in Germany, a fleet of 80, 85 drivers um, all over the country, which collect used dogs from various sources. We um, bring these oils to intermediate storages and then we um, ship them to the refinery. But we also uh, rely on third party um, supplies. May have several reasons. I mean, it's not always um, easiest to get access to all parts of, of the world or the country. And maybe in some regions, uh, other collectors have better um, capabilities to collect. But basically, what we try to do is um, have a very high level of uh, own collection into the refinery. So you're... You're, you're from cradle to grave. I mean, you do the collection yourself, although you use third parties also, and then you re-refine and then you sell, but you don't produce formulated lubricants, correct? We produce formulated lubricants as well. What is the so we brand that, name? We, we do of, the last uh, step as well. Okay. Um, so... In Germany, are there incentives for people to basically return their used oil? What is the, the situation in, in Germany that makes for used oil collection perhaps easier than other parts of the world? Um, collect, um, the, Germany is one of the few examples in the European Union, I would say, that has uh, no tax or subsidized or EPR-driven scheme. So um, it's a completely market-driven um, environment. There are no subsidies, nothing. So that means uh, every collector who, who is on the market um, uh, is doing it with it with own means. There are other examples in the European Union where we have um, a subsidized scheme for um, yeah, increasing the uh, collection rates, or we have uh, extended producer responsibility schemes in uh, many different countries in order to make sure that um, the use of is being collected uh, at a high rate. But ge for Germany, for example, not. How much is the collection rate right now for Germany? Like, for example, how much is total lubricant consumption and how much of that is collected now, not only by Avisa, but other collectors as mm -hmm. well? I think, and now... Now, I don't know the exact figure, but it is uh, a very high collection rate reaching, I think, 95, 96%. Don't get me, uh, don't name me down on this, but it is uh, above 90% in Germany, definitely. So that that's fantastic. And, and, and I assume you're collecting not only automotive uh, use spent lubricants, but also industrial spent lubricants. Yes. yes. And... Can they be commingled in the refinery, uh, Mario? Mm -hmm. um, you can mix certain types of used lubricants uh, when they are according to uh, the categorization of the European waistcoat. So there are different waistcoats that can be mixed and there are different waistcoats that cannot be mixed with each other. Okay, and you but just have to follow that. Yes, yes. What, what do you do with the contaminants that basically have to be removed from the finished product? I mean, from the finished base oil. What happens to them? Um, you mean contaminants that are um, 
hazardous that uh, cannot be processed in the normal normal way of processing into base oil, like PCBs? Well, I guess there are several. Well, I, I, I suppose there are several kinds. One of them would be the spent additives. And then, of mm -hmm. course, uh, water is always a contaminant. So those are two different ones. And I guess the other one would be whatever would be considered hazardous. Yeah. Everything, so what we do is um, uh, very uh, stringent uh, quality control. Uh, what our drivers are doing uh, on every um, stop that they make to collect the used oil, they take retention samples. Then they um, uh, then they take the oil, put it into the truck, and then bring it to the refinery, where we have a laboratory that um, uh, assesses the quality of the material that is that's in site. If the material is according to the specifications, it goes into um, it goes into the refinery. If the material is not according to the specification, then we have the retention sample to see what is the source of the contamination, and then we, we need to figure out what to do with it. So, um, which route is is this um, uh, material is going to take? When it comes to the process itself. We have a um, we have several uh, process steps in the refinery to uh, take the water out, to take gas oils out, to take um, other uh, contamin contaminants out. But in order to make sure to uh, produce um, in the final step a base oil that um, is reaching the required quality quality parameters. Mario, in the EU, what is the specification used for base oil? What defines Based on quality, mm. I think uh, the market is uh, referring to the API classification for base oils. That's that's the standard classification for base oil, also in the European Union. Okay, and and that basically only addresses certain parameters of base oil, like saturates, for example, sulfur. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it and I guess viscosity, right? Um, yeah. Do you use ISO standards or DIN standards or ASTM standards when you're checking for the other properties relating to viscosity? What's the, the prevalent uh, specifications being used in Europe to determine if base oil, the quality of a re-refined product is the same as a virgin base oil? Using using the same um, uh, laboratory measurements, so you 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 name them. It's it's ISODIN or it's ASTM to and then make make the same measurements as for the uh, primary fine base stock. So the system doesn't distinguish between a virgin versus a used oil, uh, uh, versus a base oil from used oil, um, which in a way. Actually, makes it more stringent for you guys, doesn't it? At, at the end, um, you are uh, you are at the moment on the same market selling your products, and they need to um, they need to fulfill certain quality parameters that are um, that are um, uh, valid for all types of base salts, and they have to they have to be met. If you ask me whether this is good or bad, I would say I think there's room for improvement in order to make sure that um, we also include other parameters into the classification of base oil. That's my personal point of view, um, because 
I don't believe that um, we as refiners, so I'm talking about the whole industry, we are, we are not selling a global commodity. We are selling a specialized product with a, with a sustainability uh, factor that primary refined products cannot achieve. And that's our major differentiator. So what parameters would you like to see included? Like, for example, if I came to you and said, Mario, I'm ASTM and I want to Im improve or expand the parameters that we're measuring right now, what would you like to see? The most obvious, th obvious thing would be um, CO2 footprint. Because they're unbeatable. How do you measure that, though? Is there a measurement right now that's recognized globally? Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of standards um, globally that address the um, carbon footprint of products or that um, do assessments of the life cycle. Um, there is no one standard um, that everybody is using, but sure there are standards that are widely recognized for example the iso standards for um, um, 1404 1440 1467 these are standards everybody knows the iso everybody knows how that how that works and it could be something that is usable for um uh, for also the um, classification of the footprints for basalts very easily and that's what we have also done we have done we have done a life cycle assessment of um, our um, production process so from the cradle to the gate when the product base oil um, exits our gates and uh, the results that we found out are incredible i mean um, we can achieve uh, up to 90% CO2 saving compared to primary refined, and that's amazing, I would say. Yeah, that, that is amazing. I mean, that, that could buy you a lot of carbon credits, doesn't it? Um, in terms of pricing, Mario, okay, so in the technical sphere, you're competing head-on, same specs. In terms of pricing, are your products priced less than a Virgin base oil? Would, would, you, would you buy um, uh, an organic uh, steak uh, with, at lower prices or at higher prices as a non-organic steak? Well, usually we pay more for organic products, right? Yeah. And why, why should you pay at least less for a more. product? Well, well, okay. So the answer is... You, are you charging more for your product than than a, a virgin base oil? At the moment, I would say the market is in the the market is in the change at the moment. That's that, that's something that um, I can confirm. I mean, a couple of years ago, um, we have not been able to achieve um, uh, premium prices on our product, but uh, we were rather discussing about discounts. But I would say in the last couple of years, the situation is changing. We're definitely not um, selling a product at discounts. So um, that's that's for sure. And I believe, um, it, I mean, market tendencies are, are, are clear. So uh, if the demand for something is rising and, this, and the supply is limited, we all know what is going to happen with the pricing. 
So, so Mario, which is better? A rarefied base oil that that came from a from a spent lubricant or a renewable base oil that came from something from from nature? Good question. Depending on um, what kind of uh, source you take, this affects the, the answer. I would say if you um, if you have um, if you have bio based input. The question is where this biobase is coming from. Is it uh, uh, is it something that is in competition with uh, with the food industry? I would say it's probably not that good. If it's causing biodiversity loss, it's probably not that good. So uh, I think it's always a question of perspective which you take. Um, I wouldn't say that um, biobased lubricants are bad. Um, I would, would also not say that they are, that they are always better than um, used lubricating oils from uh, spent lubricants. Last question, Mario. Um, what do you like about working for this industry? What I like about working for this industry is the fact that um, this industry is um, very interesting for those people who are interested in sustainability. I'm, I'm talking about especially the um, redefining and circular economy industry because um, people think about oil as something black, as something dirty, as, as something that um, is not sustainable. But I believe that companies like Avista Oil show the exact difference to that. So oil can be green, oil can be clean, and oil can be sustainable. And that's that's something that is um, worthwhile mentioning, I would say. And um, for those who, um, who have a natural interest in sustainability, uh, I think there are options for them to consider oil as sustainable as well. But you have to be sure to um, look into the right corners to uh, identify those who are really sustainable and those who are not. And I think that um, although uh, many people have said there is the peak of oil in 2020, 2030, 2050, whenever that is, um, we cannot forget about the fact that for most of our applications today, we still need some kind of lubrication. And... Um, if we have sustainable alternatives for producing that lubrication, such as um, redefined base oil, then we should then we should um, uh, make use of it. Well, very well said, Mario. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate your contribution to this conversation, and good luck with your upgrade. And um, Hopefully we'll we'll hear from you again when uh, when when it's completed. What is the target date for your uh, plant upgrade in Germany? We plan to be in full capacity by the end of 2024. So that's very soon. Good luck with uh, with your work and um, check back with us in 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 about a year's time. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Vicky. Have a great day too. Bye bye. Bye-bye.